Welcome to the Dr. Wayne Dyer Radio Podcast. Discover the wisdom and remarkable insights of Dr. Dyer, world-renowned spiritual teacher and foremost authority on how the power of your mind creates your world. And today we do have a special guest. The, the show is going to be a, a little bit different, and I think it's going to be fascinating. And uh, Dr. Dyer, I know you wanted to introduce our guest today and her story mm. Uh, it's pretty incredible. I do. Yes, it is an incredible story, and it's an incredible journey that she's on, and one that I have joined hands with her uh, to uh, <clears throat> bring to the attention of the world. Um, and it's um, and I, I want to just make a big, big time disclaimer before we even start to talk about this subject. It's about uh, antidepressants, and I think dependency on um, on drugs for just about you know for so many things in our culture. There's there's, there's not a family out there. Uh, that's listening someplace on this planet who isn't impacted by uh, the you know very large increase in the amount of uh, prescriptions that are uh, people are taking and um, particularly in the world of antidepressants. Uh, <clears throat> so my uh, my daughter Tracy, who lives in Minneapolis, and uh, I, I've had on the show several times, and has a company called Urban Junket, um, wherein she uh, uses uh, recycled. Uh, Plastic water bottles uh, as part of uh, her work at becoming more conscious of the of greening of the planet in uh, producing these beautiful, uh, very uh, uh, just sort of elegant bags that she uh, says. I don't know if elegant is the right word because they're very, very practical as well. Um, anyway, go on urbanjunket.com sometime and look on there, and uh, she'll get you a good discount if you're interested. I always like to promote my kids or anybody's kids' uh, business. She started this business herself uh, and um, does all the designing and all of the work. And it's like I remember when I uh, was on Oprah's show many times oh, and talking to Oprah. Oprah is one of those people when she ran a business, she, she did everything in the business. I mean, she... Uh, she she would do the designing of the show. She would do the creative part of it. She would sign all the checks herself. She didn't turn things over to other people. She ran it uh, the entire part. That's what that's how my daughter Tracy uh, does with her business, and and it's gone from just you know a startup thing and uh, into um, you know a very big and wonderful company and who are doing great great things. So anyway, her uh, her friend um, uh, in Minneapolis. Her name is Kim Witzak. And um, uh, Kim has a story to tell, and then, but it's more than the importance of the story. And the disclaimer that I want to do is that I'm not uh, on here saying that everybody who's taking antidepressants should get off of them, um, and that they're terrible things, and that uh, you know that I'm against them all. And it doesn't really matter whether I'm against or for things anyway. I'm just talking about my opinions. I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not giving medical advice or offering medical advice to anyone. Um, I just want people to become aware of what is taking place in this world and um so her dear friend uh, her name is kim um kim witzak and uh we had dinner one day up in minneapolis a few years back and she told me about uh, something that happened with with her husband that i'm going to let her tell it instead of me telling it and uh, introduce her and then she has taken this uh, this unfortunate accident, uh, what is what has taken place with her husband, and turned it into a life mission for herself. Uh, she just spent a, a week here with uh, my daughter Tracy, and um, and so I talked to her and I invited her to come on the show. She's got a her husband's name was Woody, and um, she has a website called Woody Matters, WoodyMatters.com. And I'd like you to become more aware of it. And Kim uh, now goes before Congress and is uh, really looking at 
at some of the dangers, some of the things that are happening out there to uh, a lot of innocent people um, who've uh, inadvertently or been put on uh, uh, these different kinds of uh, antidepressant pills uh, and the impact that it can have on, on people's lives and how, how much we've become so dependent on them and how the drug industry is... Uh, you know, even the studies that are saying that they're all safe are all being funded by the drug companies and so on. So I would like to introduce uh, my friend Kim Witzak, who's agreed to come on the show and, and talk about her uh, her experience, uh, how it took place. Kim, uh, welcome. How are you, my dear? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm Excellent. doing great. Couldn't be better. I would and much group- rather be in Maui versus uh, Minneapolis because yeah. snowstorm today. So. <laughs> oh, really? Well, yes. <laughs> You're where right. you're supposed to be. Stop complaining. Right. Okay. <laughs> exactly. I'm not complaining. <laughs> I know you're not. Um, so anyway, why don't you tell us um, sort of your story, what what happened um, a few years back? Give us some of the details. And Kim, take it away, my dear. Thanks. Um, well, first of all, I'd like to just say it's a conversation, and it's one that um, has impacted me personally. But more importantly, I think it's one that um, there's a lot of lessons in in this story that I really hope that viewers and, and the listeners can take a take with it um, and do with what they want with it. So, first right. of all, um, uh, Woody, my husband of almost 10 years ago, um, was a great uh, um, being. He loved life. He was super outgoing. He could walk into a room and you just felt his energy. And um, he was also um, a, he was a constant salesperson, and he had just started his dream job as vice president of sales with a startup company of an energy-efficient lighting. Woody was the guy that was actually recycling before recycling was actually big here in Minneapolis. Really? Um, so, mm. yeah, he would bring, literally would bring, he'd be out on business trips and he would bring back his papers, bring back his water bottles to recycle mm-hmm. back in Minneapolis. So that was, that was just a little bit of, you know, who he was, um, mm. always trying to leave the world a better place. But And anyway, how was so your he, marriage, by the way? How was uh, your marriage at the time? Great. I mean, we were married um, mm-hmm. 10 years. Um, we both mm-hmm. traveled a lot um, for work, but um, we were both really supportive of each other. We, and you were planning um, to have children, too, as well, weren't you? Weren't right. you getting ready to do that? Yep, we were ready to have kids, and um, mm-hmm. we were just starting to talk about getting that on the calendar. We had to do um, some in, in vitro, a little help with it. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, we were ready. You know, we just had we're living life. You know, living life the way, just you know, going on. So um, Woody wasn't depressed. In, in, other, no. in other words, there wasn't things going on in his life that um, that that would be indicative of uh, someone who was suffering from clinical depression of any kind. Nope, he was not depressed. He was a guy that needed, he was um, one that needed eight hours of sleep. So when he started Mm -hmm. this new job, um, he was having, he was, I call it the 3 a.m. wake up call. He was waking up Mm -hmm. in the middle of the night and, um, and after a couple months or a couple months of this, he's like, I have to go into the, um, the doctor. I need sleep. So he went into his family doctor, the, the doctor he's seen for years, um, who would go in for every year for a physical um, and, mm-hmm. you know, if he said to do something, Woody would do it. So, anyways, Woody went to see his doctor. Um, this was back in on June. And he 30th. had insomnia. This is what he went for? He was just yeah, having insomnia. insomnia. Yeah. Yep, he just wasn't mm-hmm. having trouble sleeping. And mm-hmm. he went to his doctor on June 30th, 2003. And mm-hmm. um, after, you know, told him he started this new job, he was having trouble sleeping, and the doctor, you know, gave him um, some samples of a drug called Zoloft, which is an antidepressant, 
Um, and I'm not even sure that he knew at that time what it was, an antidepressant, but he was given these samples in a brown paper bag and said that they would help take the edge off and help him sleep. Hmm. So, so Woody, so after he, a seven-minute you know, appointment... What kind of a doctor to, was this? This wasn't a psychiatrist. This was a, He was a just a general practitioner, like an yeah, uh, internist? Yep, he was his um, general practitioner, his um, family mm-hmm. doctor. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he, um, you know, left with a sample, um, three-week sample pack, and um, took the drug. You know, there were no warnings. It was in a brown paper bag, etc. Now, um, so Woody's thinking he's going home and going to start something to help him take, you know, take the edge off and help him sleep. And I'm, meanwhile, um, in the other side of the, the world, I'm down on a um, in production down in New Zealand. So I'm not even there mm-hmm. when Woody's taking these drugs. But at that mm-hmm. time, they weren't telling him or anybody else that you needed to be closely monitored when first going on these drugs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, Woody... Now, Zoloft, taking... is a, is, Zoloft is just a name of one antidepressant. What are some of the names of the other uh, antidepressants that are in that in that field? This is... Uh, let's see. There's Paxil. There's mm-hmm. um, Paxil. The original was Prozac. Mm-hmm. And then Zoloft. Well, Wellbutrin. Is that another one? Yeah, that's an SNRI. So they have different mm-hmm. ones, but these are the SSRIs, which were the first. What does that pro- mean, SSRI? Um, what does that mean? Selective serotonin um, reuptaker. Um, mm-hmm. So it's basically where they say that it's um, uh, affecting the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. That's that's the class of drugs that um, Woody mm-hmm. was given. And since, you know, there's other ones like Lexapro, Wellbutrin, um, Celexa, um, and then, of course, there's all the antipsychotics that are now trying to be marketed as um, an antidepressant or first-line treatment for depression. Such as? Um, let's see, Seroquel, Abilify, um, now you see ads for these all the time now in, in Time Magazine. You see them on the on the news on the on the evening news. These are all advertised uh, commercially. Is that right? Yes, they're all ad, um, mm-hmm. advertised. What's interesting is when I think about the time that Woody was given this drug um, back in 2003, the drugs that were on the uh, the advertising that was on the market were for Zoloft and Paxil. Um, but now you don't see those drugs on um, being advertised because they're off patent. But the mm-hmm. drugs back then, um, you know, Zoloft was the one with the little white bouncing ball. And, you know, if you've been, um, if you've been sad or do you have, you know, um, if you get nervous asking your boss for a raise, you may have social anxiety disorder. And so those mm. were the kind of ads that were placed, um, that were being um, aired at the time Woody was given this drug. So, mm. you know, they, and then the Paxil ones were like, hi, my name is Nervous. My name is Shy. And then if you take the drug, it became like, my name is Kim um, on the name tag. And yours would say, hi, my name is Wayne. So mm. it kind of brought you back to who you are or so that that's what the advertising led you to believe. Mm. Um, wow! Yeah, it's, and it's just a few countries in the world. I think New Zealand and the United States are the are about the only countries that allow um, you know these kinds of drugs to be advertised on television for people to just go in and ask their doctors for. Isn't that correct? Right, we're the only two, and you know the bulk of them obviously being the United States. Hmm. Yeah, we take most of the antidepressants in the world, don't we? Yep. 
a very large percentage of them. Absolutely. So you were down in New Zealand. You were doing work. Uh, Woody was up in Minnesota. Is that right? And then, yeah. and uh, and he was just told that take one, two, three of these. How? What was the dosage? Do you know? Um, well, the first week was twenty-five milligrams, and the second mm-hmm. week it automatically doubled the dose to fifty milligrams. Mm-hmm. And what people will say is that's a small, perc- um, that's a pretty low dose for antidepressants, mm-hmm. but it doesn't matter it with, regardless if it's a low dose, because um, if it can do it on a low dose, imagine when they get up on a higher um, mm-hmm. dose. But it was a pretty um, low dose, but almost immediately Woody had um, the side effects that he was told he might have, such as night sweats, um, diarrhea, um, you know, he actually, believe it or not, it was still made him really like wired, and he was not able to sleep. Um, Woody was a guy also knowing just his body type. He could not have he could have one drink to made him drunk, so he didn't really drink. He couldn't drink um, caffeine. He didn't um, take like Nyquil or any other kind of cold meds because mm-hmm. it would make him, um, you know, it would make him foggy. And, and so he was a really, his body was really sensitive to start with. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure that didn't get factored into um, the antidepressant. And, again, Woody just trusted the doctor um, and just did what he said. Mm-hmm. So It's interesting. Um, before you go on, Kim, yeah. how do doctors, I just wrote this note down to myself, how do doctors know um you know, they're general practitioners. They're certainly not pharmacologists and so on. They don't study these kind of things in medical school. How do they know what's in these drugs, if they work, what the side effects are, and so on? Where do they get the information for that? Well, most of um, the doctors are being educated by the uh, drug reps that come in and come in and educate them. They might read them in a journal article. Um, but, you know, most of them, um, like a general practitioner, um, you know, they're seeing what are they like the average right now they say is about seven to 10 minutes at max mm. with a patient. So there's not mm. a whole lot of time. Um, and you think about how many patient their patient load where, you know, do they really have time to, um, to read, not just an antidepressants. You're talking about all the different drugs that are out right. there that they have to be informed. No, I, right. I have an experience with my own daughter who was having a real difficulty with a drug called Adderall, which is, mm-hmm. uh, it's a, it's in the cocaine family basically, and it was um, and, and so we uh, she got addicted to it, and we went to, I got a minute appointment with a psychiatrist to talk to her about it, and he gave her a prescription on a pad which was advertising Adderall at the top of the pad, and yeah. that's what she was that's what she was in there because she was uh, so addicted to it that she couldn't get herself off of it. Uh, so anyway, at any rate, that's just sort of a side effect. So. Yep. Um, so go on then. Uh, so you're down in New Zealand, and Woody's, uh, and he's uh, taking his dosage, and it's like it's now been how long? A week, two weeks? A week. Um, well, so week one, then week two, it doubles, um, mm-hmm. and so now we're in three weeks. Um, I come back after being gone for three weeks, and um, you know Woody is just—he's lost weight, and he—I mean—he was super anxious. Um, it mm-hmm. seemed like he got worse. I had never seen this. I mean, I've been together with him for. 13 years, married to almost 10 years. I've never seen this behavior from him. But anyways, I was excited to see him. I got home early um, from work, and I wanted to make him dinner. And um, so I was already at home when Woody got back. And I'll never forget this um, for the rest of my life. But Woody came walking through the back door, and he had one of the blue dress shirts and, you know, had a white T-shirt underneath it. And he was completely drenched through with sweat. He dropped the bag at the back door and came and sat 
fell like in fetal position in front of our dishwasher and rocking back and forth with his hands around his, um, his head like a vice. Kim, Kim, I don't know what's happening to me. You got to help me. I don't know what's happening to me. I'm losing my mind. Kim, it's like my head's outside my body looking in. Kim, Kim. And he's just like rocking back and forth. And of course, I have never seen this behavior. Um, I have not been around this. And I, I just, I'm like, okay, um, Let's calm down. So we got him. We brought him downstairs, and we were like doing yoga, breathing. We were praying. We were, you know, like just chatting. I'm like, what if your job's a stress? You know, here I'm, I say to him, if your job's a stressful, quit. You know, I have no idea. So we got mm-hmm. him calmed down and said to call his doctor the next day. Mm-hmm. So fine. Um, the next day he calls his doctor and. The doctor um, says you got to give it four to six weeks to kick in, which was the what they tell you um, the drug. I guess again the drug. Rep, so this is what um, the drug rep and in whatever training they have, and they don't have very much training, yeah. do they? I just saw a show right. about this. I think it was on 60 Minutes of, you know, how many of these drug uh, reps are, are attractive young women uh, right. who who uh, you know do uh, offer all kinds of uh, favors and things to uh, to these doctors. Take them for dinner. Um, you know, make it, uh, you know, they become like socially f- friendly with these doctors and they go through just a few week training period, which is uh, conducted totally by the drug company. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. And then you look mm-hmm. also at their, um, you know, continuing medical education that also mm-hmm. that, you know, doctors have to continue, you know, they have to have that for their um, to keep their license. Sure. And a lot of the CMEs mm-hmm. are also sponsored by the drug industry. So they're being trained constantly bombarded by the, um, the pharmaceutical industry educating them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, okay, I, so- Woody's doctor did what he was told, which is four to six weeks to kick in. So, so he was told this by a young representative who had, who had come to his office and said, you know, when you have patients that have insomnia, whatever it is, any kind of anxiety whatsoever, this is a drug that you, you want to get. And they actually put pressure on the doctors to uh, to buy these drugs. Is that right? And to, uh, yeah. I mean, that's yeah, I think- at least the story that I read. Yep. No, I think there's the pressure. And then um, and then some of the other things that I've learned from this is technically that was called off-label prescribing mm-hmm. that Woody got it for. And I think there's a lot of off-label. And I think that's something that we'll want to, um, that the listeners should really understand what that mm-hmm. means, um, that it's okay, not really, we'll... so we can get back to that. Right. Um, yeah. So Woody, you know, was told four to six weeks. Um, then so the next week of his life, he didn't last a full four to six weeks. He lasted a total of five. But Woody, um, every night the next week, Woody came home. He's like, Kim, what do you think about um, hypnosis? I'm going to beat this feeling in my head. Then the next time it would be like, what do you think about acupuncture? I'm going to beat this feeling in my head. So Woody went from not sleeping to trying to figure out ways, like thinking it's himself. Like, I'm going to beat this feeling in my head. Um, and, and meanwhile, during this whole time, what do you last, mean feeling? What do you mean feeling in his head? What would he say? Um, well, when he came and said his head was outside his body, looking in, mm. um, that's that feeling outside, um, of his beat. This feeling in his head, where he felt mm-hmm. just, um, almost detached from his body. Um, right. It's also a side effect that it's called akathisia, which is this extreme internal agitation that um, at the time, I, you know, very few doctors, even to this day, if you ask them about akathisia, your general practitioners, they're not aware of what that 
what that means. Now, if you ask into psychiatrists, they've heard, they know what agathesia is because that's part mm-hmm. of their training. But it's a drug-induced agitation. Um, but that's what Woody was experiencing, and we had no idea. Um, and we're just told to, you know, stay the course, four to six weeks. Um, Wood's trying to everything he possibly can to beat this feeling. Um, even during this time, he was a big runner, so he um, uh, kept a running journal because um, he was pretty anal, so he liked to see how many miles <laughs> he was logging in on his shoes. Mm. So he was normally running like 7 to 10 miles a day, but during this time he kept going, Kim, I can't do any more than 3 miles. So that also tells you kind of um, uh, tells you that he wasn't depressed. I mean, he's out there running mm-hmm. every day, right. um, et cetera. But so um, I leave, we had a, um, so now we're getting down to week five of him being on this drug. Um, and we had a, an awesome um, engagement party for a friend that were getting married at our house um, the Saturday night before he died. And he was totally, completely 100% Woody. He was showing everybody the house. Like he was classic in Woody form. Um, the next day, um, we were cleaning up, um, getting, and I'm getting ready to go out of town again for another um, shoot for work. And um, so we were cleaning up the house. We were laying there, and Wood kept telling me, he's like, um, when you get home, we got to schedule our in vitro. We had to, we had just booked our um, 10-year anniversary trip to go to um, Thailand. We, mm-hmm. um, so all this planning stuff was happening right then, right? So I leave. It's Monday morning. I leave to go out of town to Detroit. And um, said goodbye. No, you know, we traveled all the time. So it was no, you know, I wasn't mm. nervous about leaving him. I didn't think anything, you know, just. There was no sad departure or anything. No. We weren't breaking no. up. There was nothing no. like that going on. No, nothing. No. We're just, you know, I'm going on a business trip. All right, I'll see mm-hmm. you on Friday, honey. Um, yeah. And so, and yet we were, we always talked when I was gone. So sending him emails, we chatted at night. So the next, um, so nothing was out of the ordinary on Monday. On Tuesday, August 5th, I remember calling him, and it, uh, I was still at the studio shooting, but I called him about 9 o'clock at night, and he's like, and I, he sounded almost like a zombie. I'm like, is everything all right? He's like, yeah. Like, I can remember that sound, too. It was almost like I felt like he was back on that, um, reminded me of that kitchen, not knowing it then, but now looking back, I wonder if he was having one of those episodes that was so excruciating. And I'm mm-hmm. like, is everything okay? And he's like, yeah. Um, and I go, do you, and he's like, he was just busy. And he goes, I love you. And I love you, whatever. So hung up again, didn't think anything of it other than I was like, huh, he must be distracted. He's busy working on the computer. Um, so the next morning I wake up, um, again, call him. I had a funny dream to tell him no, no answer. Call him again. No answer. I kept calling him all day. Then I um, left him of um, an email. Then finally, I call my home um, answering machine, and I get a message. I hear a message from his one of the partners in the new business asking, "Woody, where are you? We've got a huge meeting tomorrow, and I haven't heard from you all day." And that right there, because he's so responsible, like that started. Like I got this sinking feeling in me, and. Um, I call his mom. I, you know, have you heard from him? No. And then finally, about 8.30 at night, I call my dad. And I said, Dad, would you do me a favor? I haven't heard from Woody all day. And, you know, he's been under a little stress. I'm just afraid he hasn't been sleeping. He might have hit his head. 
And so my dad drove over to our house, and Wood's car was in the driveway, so he went in the house, and he wasn't in the house. And so my dad went and opened the garage door, and my dad found Woody hanging. And I got a call that I'll never forget. He's like, it's bad. It's bad. I'm like, what do you mean it's bad? And he's like, Woody's dead. I'm like, what do you mean Woody's dead? And they're like, he's hanging. I'm like, what? What? Like, I couldn't. I remember I just started screaming. And we were still at the studio. And, you know, I still to this day think about what my dad had to see. Mm. Um, and then to have to call and tell me. Um, yeah. I And that, you know, obviously that was like that shift or that jolt that my life was on a whole different track mm. um you know yeah, this was it, a real a real turning uh, point in your life yeah. but yeah. what's this thing with hanging what what and and and, and the, th the feeling in his head and um you know what's the relationship of uh, of, of that and the way that he chose to uh, to commit suicide and on uh, such a short such a short notice do you think it was just like an like a quick impulse do you think um and what did his family doctor say when to fill us in then and what has happened then since then you came back obviously there was a funeral um yeah uh, and you decided that you were going to dedicate your life to something other than what you had been doing before that right so i think there's there is something about the antidepressants and um especially zoloft i've met you know obviously since then i've met a lot of families um, that have had children or loved ones that have died by, um, with, that were on Zoloft, a lot of hangings. And I think it's that head outside the body. It's a quick thing. Um, but it's like not a normal, normal kind of, um, way to end your life. Um, you know, there's other more, less painful things I would think, but, um, right. anyway, I, I remember reading the, um, the, the obituary on, um, on Robin Williams. Uh, and they were all so proud to say that, you know, there were no illegal drugs in him and so on. But there were two kinds of uh, antidepressants in him, two different kinds that yeah. were in there. And he also uh, chose uh, chose this uh, this this strange method of, uh, you know, of committing suicide. I mean, if if you're in a jail cell and that's the only option that you have, that you know, with a bed sheet or something, that's one thing. But it's not a very common way unless there are antidepressants involved uh, right the, the whole idea of wanting to get your head off of your off of the rest of your torso because yeah. it just doesn't feel right yeah and then anyway that was my first thought when i when i heard that robin williams uh, had uh, you know had committed suicide in that way well and that was so my go on. first That's just that was my was first it? thought mm -hmm, absolutely mm -hmm. um so I come home, but that night when I was in Detroit, um, and this is kind of what started the whole like um, process or kind of piecing things together, um, mm -hmm. the coroner called and asked if Woody was on any drugs. And I'm like, uh, I mean, I didn't even really know the drug. I mean, that tells you how l not involved in his medical, which I've learned a lesson there. Mm -hmm. But um, so I'm like, oh, something like Zoloft. And she was like, there's a bottle of Zoloft on the kitchen counter. It was under a light which I think in some ways was Woody's um, note, because he did not leave a note. He always left mm -hmm. notes when we traveled. Mm -hmm. So that was right by the back door. And she, um, the What corner, was it, dear? What was it by, by the back door? The bottle of Zoloft, the prescription. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. um, and so she said, um, the coroner said to my brother-in-law, I'm going to take this with him because I think it had something to do with his death. Mm -hmm. So obviously parallel i'm in detroit my life just fell apart my brother-in-law was at my house with my dad 
and heard her say this might have something to do with his death and um, Googled that night Zoloft and suicide and found out all of this like history of it. But remember, this is still 2003 when there were no black box warnings on these drugs. There were no um, kind of association with this yet um, to mm-hmm. the average to the average person. For those who had been um, um, out there working on this stuff since the Prozac initial hearings um, back in 1991, um, they knew about the connection. But for the average person who are seeing those ads on the on the television, um, there were no warnings. Yeah, the side effect, the side effect things about if you have thoughts of suicide, um, when I watch those commercials and they go through these long list this laundry list of all the potential things and then thoughts of suicide if 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 we know that a drug that we offer to people is going to create thoughts of suicide even if it's only in a very small percentage of the people taking it that ought to be a real alarm that ought to go off in the in the minds of anyone uh, whether or not we should be even offering such things but that's just again that's my opinion right so 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 what? Uh, so you you created a website. It's called WoodyMatters.com. Um, you began to look at uh, what's going on in the drug industry. You became quite an expert on it. Uh, you've testified before Congress. Um, what is your mission, and what is wh- what do you feel, and what do you want to say to people? And uh, um, and then if we have time, we'll take a, f- a few phone calls if there's some related. Diane, are you getting phone calls? Yeah, we've got some people that uh, mm-hmm. want to share their story. Okay, great. So we'll get to that in a few minutes, another five minutes or so. So, um, so you know, I I know we're rushing through this, and uh, you know, and I, you and I have talked about this, and it's it's. I'm sitting here wiping tears from down my. I don't know how you can even talk about it and not, and not break down, but uh, um, uh, there's there's an awful lot of. Uh, Big-time concern, isn't there, about uh, the misuse of these kinds of drugs and especially them being prescribed by people who really know only thing that they know is what the drug companies tell them that they want them to know, and they cite the research that these are effective, which is all, most of it is just research that has been uh, conducted by the drug companies themselves. And the the results that come back that don't, uh, you know, aren't in harmony with uh, selling more drugs, they just discard those until they, you know, it's a different kind of research, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, from the beginning, Woody's death made no sense. So there was something so deep inside me that was like, um, we need to get to the bottom of, of this. So we took the, um, I call it the battle for Woody, um, you know, Congress, um, the courts, where I had a lawsuit against Pfizer, got documents out that showed that these guys have, it's kind of the way, um, the cost of doing business and how they've worked um, um, the dangers or keeping this side effect from the public. Um, mm-hmm. And initially it was like getting black box warnings put on these drugs. So we were involved in getting um, the warnings. And so that's why you have the suicide warnings on these drugs now, because anything that has a black box warning has to put those warnings on the commercials. Um, but, what is a black um, box warning? What is that, uh, Kim? The black box warning is the most serious um, of all warnings that the FDA can get, that there's, um, there's been association with death um, and extreme um, serious side effects. So it takes mm-hmm. a lot to get a black box warning. It does, um, the FDA um, does not issue those um, uh, quickly. Um, they have to have mm-hmm. all the research. So when you actually think about what it takes to get a black box warning, um, um, you know that there's something pretty deep in there. Um, but what was interesting about the antidepressants, which most people don't realize, and what I thought was just kind of 
uh, an isolated situation is the FDA back in 1991 held hearings, exactly the same kind of hearings that I was involved in to try to get the black box warnings in 2004. In 1991, the FDA, they said, um, said you should go study suiciality. The drug companies never did. Um, the FDA never followed up with it. Fast forward, you now have it approved for kids. And you have two other, um, you have Zoloft and Paxil on the market. So it took 13 years after. Think about all of those deaths, and they would always blame the victim. You know, like, oh, they were depressed, they were this. But somebody, mm-hmm. like, there was something so um, inside me that I believed in, in Woody, knew Woody, when everybody else mm-hmm. was saying, you can't take on a drug industry, you can't do this. You poor widow, you're looking for an excuse. I just believed um, that there was something, and once I started to learn this, it was too late for our family, but if I didn't do what I could um, to um, inform others, because we were blindsided by it, we are all part of the unsuspecting public, um, and, and we can't buy the narrative that um, the, if you look, if you start reading the narrative or hear interviews or reading articles in the paper, it'll say um, these drugs are, you know, the, the officials from the companies, these drugs are safe and effective and they've helped millions, but we don't know mm-hmm. if there's going to be one that it helps millions. Mm-hmm. And we don't know. We're all unsuspecting um, until we know that we're one of those that it can work for. Right. It's and if it does help informed. people, but but there's a certain percentage that are going to that we're going to lose. That can't just be collateral damage. I mean, we've got to recognize, <laughs> you know, that we are we are moving around the, the chemistry of a person's brain without really understanding what is going on. You told me a story when you were here just a few weeks ago in Maui. Um, about the little ch- about the children who were walking in with their little cups. What was that? Thing? Can you oh, tell us yeah. that? So this is um, these were I call them the uns- another vulnerable population. But I was um, I helped start an organization in Minnesota called Free Arts for um, at the time it was called Free Arts for Abused Kids. But these were mm. um, kids that have foster kids, and this was um, uh, kids that have been removed from the home because they've seen you know horrible things that they should never see. You know murders. Mm-hmm. Um, violence, whatever, but they're wards of the state. So anyways, we were one day working with the, the kids, and we were, um, uh, they had a great session, art session, so their, volu- their staff person said, hey, kids, why don't you show the volunteers where you live? All right, so, you know, they're, what, 8 to 12, going up into mm-hmm. a, a big building, a long hall, um, like a dorm room almost, a dorm, mm-hmm. and walk in, and every one of those kids, every one of those groups that we had, eight of them, stopped by the window and picked up this little cup of um, and, and it was a medication. And I remember looking at the staff person. And I go, "Are they all sick?" Because I'm thinking, "Oh my God, if they have like a cold or strep throat, that's mm-hmm. what I'm thinking." And she goes, mm-hmm. "Oh no, this is their behavior medicine." I'm like, "Behavior med? Like it made no sense." This was back in 1997, well before mm-hmm. Woody died. And so now, fast forward, and all that I've learned about those vulnerable populations, like the kids telling them mm. they're broken, um, the elderly, we're just drugging them because it's, mm. I mean, and what are we doing to people? It just breaks my heart. Like every time I learn that, and I get very emotional about, mm. about um, how we're just, and the way that we've 
manipulated, and like you said, the collateral damage and and, yeah, the and collateral it, it damage really is. Just, Woody is collateral damage. I mean, that's just uh, you know, that's just one person's life. Uh, Robin Williams. Yep. These are collateral damage. These. Yeah. Um, but what, what do you say about uh, before we t- go to the phones? What do you say about uh, all of the people who, who, when I ever talk about this subject, say? You know, they saved my life, or they saved my sister's life, or my my grandma, my mother, or whatever it is. That's just, uh, or or children on Ritalin and so on. You know, who are who are told, you know, that they were behavior problems before, and now now they're quiet and so on. They, we sort of just drug people, don't we, and just make mm-hmm. them, you know, ma- make them easier to manage, if you will. Yeah, I would what, say. What do you say? Well, I hear that all. I was gonna say I hear that mm-hmm. all the time. Where it saved, you know, it was it helped me. It, was, it saved my life. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't. You know, first of all, I'd say, well, that's you know, great. You were one that it helped. But and mm-hmm. I'm not even really sure because there's um, there's a big placebo effect on these drugs too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there what? is when you um, and basically, you know, the placebo that just the idea of taking something. I mean, there's a lot of studies that have come out now right. showing that um, is it the placebo or, you know, which it may or may not sure. be. It's some, well, it, it's it just does like affect- even, even in therapy, I mean, people who are on a waiting list for therapy have a tendency to get better than those who can't get on a waiting list, just, just anticipating yeah. that something is going to happen. So we all know right. about, about placebos. But before these uh, before these drugs came along, and now we call things like you said, social anxiety disorder. Um, you know, children that were misbehaving. Uh, I was one of those. I mean, I could have. It always reminds me of Cuckoo's Nest. Remember Jack Nicholson and how they, <laughs> you know, what they did to him. And I, I would have been one of those children that that, uh, that they could have easily said, uh, "Let's give him. He's got social anxiety disorder." I was bored in school. I would look out the window. I just didn't want to. You know, I didn't want. To, I would talk and uh, because I, it just all everything was just so easy in school. You know, it's like, okay, I've got long division. I don't have to do it. You know, for you know. Six hours a day for the next three years. I got it, you know. Yep. And got so, it. I, but they would have given me a drug, wouldn't they? I mean, it's. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, anyway, that think- question's that question's all over the map, and this is really a conversation. But, but there are a lot of people who say that they benefit from it, and you know, we've become a culture that just thinks that anytime anything is going wrong, I mean, they now want the American Psychiatric Association wants psychological association wants to make shyness a an illness. Yeah, so, you know, so that a shyness. shy child can then we can get them on a drug and give them a drug for the rest of their life to help them to overcome their shyness. Well, and also grief. This is one that um, I've been working with. Um, ironically, he was the um, he was the chair of the DSM, which is the Di- um, Diagnostic Statistic Manual, which is basically mm-hmm. what they use um, to give us a diagnosis for you know mental health, and it's grown throughout. Mm-hmm. The years, but um, he was the chair of the the, the the fourth edition. But he's now an outspoken critic, Dr. Alan Francis, um, a famous psychiatrist, because they're adding grief. Grief. If you've been grieving for more than six weeks, it is now considered a disorder that you can get a diagnosis to get um, to um, get prescriptions for an for an grief. antidepressant. Yeah, mm. grief. Six weeks, yeah, the, and yeah. you know, I mean, what have we done? Like every day, just almost every day, um, life, you know, and um, emotions, and and we're also mm-hmm. like training people that a drug is going to help fix them, and it's also this way we're going to create this whole culture of kids. I mean, I look at the screening tools every time there's, um, you know, the screening tools that there's that they're using out there um, uh, to, you know, say that you have a diagnosis like the depression or the ADHD. Um, mm. 
there, if you actually look at them, and I've actually pointed it out to my doctors, um, that the people who have created them are actually um, heavily conflicted doctors and are paid by the industry. So it's like they're feeding us into this system, and there is no blood test. There's no lab test. It's very subjective to, like, give you yeah, a my, diagnosis. My daughter used to say, Dad, she'd say, this, uh, you have to answer six questions. If you, They'll ask you six questions, and if you, get the, if you answer the six questions the way they want you to, and everybody knows what the six questions I'm talking about when she was a teenager. Uh, and she said, and then they'll just write you a prescription. You just can go and get a prescription for it, you know, just yeah. by answering six questions. Six <laughs> questions, uh, you know, and, then this, and the questionnaire is given to them by the drug company. Ask, yeah, ask absolutely. them this question. Okay, so what is it you want to do now, and what have you done uh, in the in the few minutes we have left before we take a couple of calls? Uh, what uh, what is your goal here? Um, do you, do you want to see them all eradicated? Do you uh, you want to see more, better labeling? I, I know you've gone you've gone into Washington D.C. and and, and gone before Congress. Um, is it, what is it you'd like to see happen, Kim? Well, I think there's. Um I think it's about information. So uh, there's a couple, there's two prong. Uh, there's the approach and what I'm doing in D.C. and all of um, the um, regulation and the legislation that's out there to get it so we get information. But really what I want is I want the general public to actually ask questions. Like, do we even, you know, ask questions? We need trans, um, we need we need information. This is like one area in our life that we don't have the full information. So I think that when we get the public to start kind of waking up and asking questions or like, this doesn't make sense, that that mm. is going to like that grassroots kind of raising that pressure is going to have to um, is going to sometime collide with um, the establishment. It's going to have to. Um, so mm. I kind of work on both, like um, informing and, and educating mm. and also advocating for all, um, us, the unsuspecting public. Um, mm. I always am out there um, reminding that, you know, I don't care about what happens in the double-blinded placebo study because, as you mentioned, you know, a lot of these studies are created by the industry with the goal of getting the um, drugs approved, right? I care right. about when you give it to millions of people and that maybe that small side effect that was not seen is now like a major mm. um, thing when the real, like you and I, the real, we're the real clinical trial. That's what matters. And that's the voice right. that I'm going to continue to speak for. And um, oh, that's, that's so wonderful. I want you to go to the website, woodymatters.com, and you can get lots more information about this. I, what I can say, and I've talked to so many people who've told, said a similar thing about themselves, I, have no, I, have, I take no prescriptions of any kind. Um, and I was taking them. I was taking them for my heart at one time. I was taking Lipitor's and things like that. And, the t and then I got a diagnosis of leukemia, and they wanted to give me the – and I just decided that I was going to totally purify myself. No, no prescription drugs of any kind because when I grew up, you know, getting a prescription was a really, really rare thing to do. I mean, mm -hmm. to, to go to, to, you know, you just didn't go around and, and get the prescriptions for drugs, for taking for anything, even for colds and things like that. It would be just very rare, maybe some penicillin or something once in a while. But um, and now it's not un, it's not uncommon to have people taking seven, eight, nine different prescription drugs. And I've talked to so many people who finally they just have said, all right, I'm going to just I'm going to detox. I'm just going to get myself off of all of these drugs because when you're taking six or seven or eight different prescriptions, you now are not just taking those prescriptions, but those dr drugs interact with each other and create another drug and another impact. And, and we don't really know, especially with these antidepressants. I mean, if you mix alcohol uh, 
with these antidepressants, you've got you're, you're going to have very very. It's not going to be antidepressant. It's going to be a depressant, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And I look at so it's interesting um, when you said like the multi. They call it polypharmacy, which mm-hmm. um, which is uh, adding. You know, you go into the doctor, and a lot of times you'll say, "I'm having this." Uh, like I don't know, it's not working for me, doc. And then the doc doctor doesn't recognize it as a side effect. So then they add something mm-hmm. else and say, "You have bipolar depression." And then you have mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you get, "Oh, you're having trouble sleeping." Well, because you're like going, you know, you're having all this. Um, uh, built up, you know, anxiety. So then they put a sleeping mat on top of it. I mean, look at the vets. The mm. vets that are coming home, um, we are just drugging them like crazy. But I was going to say, I, I'm looking at an Abilify ad right now, and that's in one of those ads that are out on um, out on TV mm-hmm. and in the magazines right now where it says, if you've been on an antidepressant for more than six weeks and it's not working, you may, may want to add Abilify to your antidepressant. Yeah. Add another one. Add another. Yeah. This is how so the, this whole, is how it's being this, marketing. Yep, exactly. Mm. And this one's um, this one is uh, because it's on. It's still not. It's on patent, so that's why they're advertising mm-hmm. this. Um, so it's very interesting. When I've started to learn all this, it's almost too much. It makes my head spin. But <laughs> yeah. they're actually doing films about this. Uh, Love and other drugs, or something like that. Was a wasn't that a, yeah. a, a film that I just saw about the drug industry and about? Uh, yeah, uh, and it was a, supposedly drug. a comedy, but it was. It, I didn't think it was funny at all, especially when you've had this <laughs> take, taking place in your family. And yeah. all I can say is, once I made, you know, it's like this. There's so many alternatives to taking pills to make yourself feel better. There's nature. You know, there's eating the right foods. There's uh, exercise. There's so many mm-hmm. things that you can do in, in lieu of that. To find out more about Dr. Wayne Dyer or any other Hay House author, please visit hayhouse.com. Thank you for listening.